we're in a series called uh, Blessings, Living in Covenant. And the concept behind this is, is once we understand that we serve a covenant-thinking, covenant-making God, it will open up scriptures in, a, in many ways that might not have made sense before. And it will also help us understand the God that we serve. And it's like, you know, you've talked about it before, like a potter with a piece of pottery. It's like the piece of pottery trying to understand the potter because he's so much greater than us. But he does give us revelation about himself. And I hope that this series will help us all understand him better figure out what we need to do in our walk on this planet, in our relationship with God, because He desires that we walk under His blessing. And blessing is, is, encompasses every part of life that we could learn to walk in, in the place where He can bless us. Just if you weren't here last week, very quickly, we found out through reading Paul described three different types of people on planet earth he said there are the hebrews the hebrew mindset basically says that we as humans are broken because of sin and that we need a redeemer a restorer and so we our victory is knowing god and his word so a hebrew mindset gives you a better understanding of who god is but he also said there are greek there's a greek type of mindset and much of America is based off of a Greek mindset. And in that, it says that victory comes through self-education, learning, wisdom uh, that we can create in ourselves, and the, the goodness of man. That man left alone, it's a humanistic philosophy that comes out of a Greek mindset. Leave man alone long enough, everything will get better and better and better Culture will get better. Everything gets better. The only problem with that, no, there's no evidence that that's true. Because <laughs> we, we see that life is a degenerative instead of increases. So there's a Hebrew thinking, a Greek thinking, and then a barbarian thinking. He used the term Scythian or barbarian. And in the barbarians, their concept of victory is through fear and intimidation. Our enemy... Satan is a barbarian by culture. He knows how to lie, deceive, intimidate, and cause us to fear. We know cultures that are like that today. Even, we talked about it last week, the Islamic thing that's happening in our world with ISIS, that's a barbarian mindset. Through fear, terror, and intimidation, we can have victory over you, control over you. So the Bible tells us that there are three basically three types of men on the planet. And good news, the good news of Jesus, that any one of those can come to Jesus and be transformed. There's not some outside of the, outside of the love of God. He will reach into any of those cultures to pull you out. But what I'm saying is, if we want to, learn, to know our God more, we need to adjust our thinking from barbarian and Greek and try to move more toward a Hebrew mindset. And so that's the reason we're looking at covenant and a covenant God in this series. Last week, I gave you a quick rundown of the seven steps of a blood covenant. Let me remind you. The first one is the exchange of robes. 
And we're going to look at that one today a little bit more in detail. The exchange of a robe, which basically is a transformation of me giving myself to you, you giving yourself to me. The exchange of belts, which we'll find is that it, that has a lot to do with the belt as the carrier of weapons and tools. And so we'll find out when we look at that next week that it has to do with uh, spiritual warfare and being able to fight with somebody stronger than us on our side. If you've ever been bullied, it's good to have the football uh, lineman as your best friend. Yes? So that's what, that's what it means when we have exchange belts. And then we're going to talk about exchanging the cutting of the sacrifice, where we get the blood covenant. I'll talk about on that week how the animal is severed down the center. Blood is spilt between and the parties walk between the severed sacrifice to, to tell covenant promises to each other. Then there is the exchange of blood. That was number four. The exchange of names, number five. The exchange of a scar and the exchange of a celebration meal. So that kind of lays out for us the next few weeks what we're going to be looking at. Why each one of those, the more we look at it, the more we understand, we'll understand much more of what Jesus did to create a new covenant and what it was like to live under the old covenant. A covenant, both of them are covenants in blood. So, let's look at this one about the robe, if you'll join with me. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read that in just a moment. This entire blood covenant is what I, in my heart, is the great exchange. There is this massive change, exchange that happens between you and God, between me and God. And this is the great exchange. This one is my sin. I exchange, exchange my sin for his righteousness. That's a big deal. When I, and the Lord got the, got the worst end of this deal. You understand that, right? I exchange my sin for his righteousness. I didn't earn it. He gives, he puts it on me as a robe. Okay, have you found that first Samuel passage? Let's stand together, please, as we read. Eighteen, starting in verse one. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Uh, kind of another way of saying that is that the soul of Jonathan bound itself to the soul of David. He found somebody that finally thinks like me, that has the same heart as I do. So there's a real strong bond between this prince and this young shepherd boy. And there was a big bond. And he said, and he loved him as himself. From that day, King Saul kept David with him and didn't let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made covenant, here's that word again, Jonathan made covenant with David because he loved him as himself, as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and you'll see some of these other things, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. We'll look at that into the future. But today I want us to look primarily at he gave him, took out his, off his outer robe and exchanged it with David. Father, thank you for your word. I ask you to bless it. Lord, I pray that your revelation would hit every one of us as hard as you hit me this week. As I was looking at this again, I just pray your spirit will move in a powerful way. 
And those, Lord, that have a form of godliness or a, a religion today would understand that it's much more than that, that it is a great exchange. And so teach us, Spirit, lead us to your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is little David before he's king. Okay, he's the youngest of the brothers. He was the one, the little shepherd out on the hillside. He's the one who was a musician, a, a harpist, a small harp player and singer. He's the one that wrote all of, all of, most all of the psalms in the middle of the Bible. He wrote those as songs of praise. He was the same uh, shepherd that King Saul would have fits of rage or madness. And he would call for David and David would come and bring his uh, little harp. And he would begin to sing songs of worship and praise. And Saul would begin to calm down. And so Saul was the king, and David was the little shepherd boy that was being brought along. We know that eventually he'll become king. But I want to show you something very significant today in this exchange of the robes. That everything, when Jonathan took off his robe, his outer garment, and gave it to, gave it to his friend David, they became very significant in relationship. The coat represented the person. Do you understand that Jonathan was heir to the kingship? He was heir to become king of Israel after his father passed away. But when he took off his outer robe and gave it, exchanged it with David, he basically said to David, I'm going to give you the right to this position. I'm going to let you, can you imagine the sacrifice of that? Being willing to become lesser so that this one could become greater is the exchange of that robe. Everything that Jonathan had now belonged to David. Everything. And he didn't hesitate out of his love for, and his friendship for David. In essence, these two became one. One soul, one friend. A friend a, like the other self. One of those close friend relationships. Note something here. When we live in covenant, and you will see it here, it marks the end of independent living for both partners. They're no longer living for themselves. They're now giving so much of themselves that they're living for each other as well. There has to be a, a surrender of self-interest for the covenant partner. I have to surrender or sacrifice myself to meet needs of my covenant partner because these relationships are very significant. S G. DeGraff said this, this deed on Jonathan's part was an act of faith. Only faith makes us willing to be the lesser. Faith causes us to surrender the rights we pretend to have over against the Christ, who is truly is only king of Israel. You know that there is a condition that will cause us to fight against covenant relationships. You know what it is? Pride. It's hard for us to get into that kind of a relationship. It's why marriages struggle so often. It's why churches struggle so often. It's why our nation struggles so often. Because we want, we're called fiercely independent. And we say that with pride, don't we? We're fiercely independent people. The problem of that is, is that pride keeps me from entering into a covenant relationship. With my wife, a covenant relationship. I'm going to say something here. 
may squirm a little bit. With my church family, I enter into a covenant relationship. When we start thinking like that, let me tell you, it's way different than what we've made modern American Christianity to be. That means I'll go to church as long as you entertain me and make me happy. But this is, if I'm entering into a blood covenant relationship with my wife, that that is a lifetime endeavor with consequences if I break it. If I enter into, and I, I know some of there, I've had several folks here go through new members class and haven't joined yet. You know why? We want to pray about, make sure that that's where we want to make covenant with those people. Do you understand? I agree with that. Don't you run into that. You need to make sure. You need to make time. You need to make sure God is placing you in that particular family because you're, at that point, we're giving up some of your right to us and we're giving up our right to you because we're coming into covenant. That's why I don't believe a family should be outside of the membership of a church because you're outside of that level of covenant. So if people leave, and let's say people leave upset about something, what happens is there's a tearing of the covenant. You know, and you feel it when we have folks that leave or whatever. It hurts, doesn't it? It always feels like rejection because it is. So what if God calls you out? Fine. If God's calling you, come and tell us God's calling you. We're going to come around you and we're going to put our blessings on you as we send you to that next ministry placement. That's different. Because then there's no tearing. There's no brokenness. It happens because we as a family are in covenant with one another. I'm telling you, it's a little bit of a different mindset that's in our world today. But I want you to get that at least in your mind. That pride issue says, no, I don't want to be in covenant with you. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. I've got it bad. That pride thing. I don't like somebody telling me what to do. I don't like giving up my rights. But there is a transfer that happens in the blood covenant. It's called the transfer of the robes. How did Jesus take our robe when we entered into covenant with him? Well, I brought an old farm jacket that's fairly nasty, fairly dirty. I want to show you this. This is what Jesus put on for me. You say, how did he put on my coat? Philippians 2. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I think about it with me just a moment. For eternity, Jesus wore the robe of the divine. He is God. He had on him the royal robe of the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He took off that royal garment and put on my garment. He took off his godness and put on my humanness. He emptied himself of his God rights and took on the form of a doulos, a servant. A bond servant, not just a, 
a, a, a servant, but a bond, a committed servant. He did not just put on external clothings as a slave. He actually became a slave in the fullest sense. He was not a look-alike human. He put on our robe, which means he came looking like fallen man with all of our frailties, with all of our limitations, with all of our sufferings as a result of the fall of sin. He put all of that on him, and yet he didn't sin. Jesus, in taking on man's robe, died with this on in my place on the cross and became that blood animal sacrifice. And that blood that Jesus spilled is the new blood of a new covenant. And the more we get into it, you'll, the more you'll see how much he did for us during that time. Now, how do we put on his robe we found out how he put on ours he took off everything of his godness and came here and became just like me and like you the same brokenness you know there's a lot of brokenness in this house today I know people with cancer I know people in marriages in difficulty I know people with job problems I know with uh, people with pregnancy and pregnancy challenges I you know he knew all of that because he took he put that on for us, he took our robe. Now let me show you. How do we put on his robe? Think about it. Taking off this old dirty coat and putting on his robe of the king of kings. And one day, he's going to come in riding on a horse. And that robe, he's going to have it, that robe on. But I'm going to show you, we get to keep that robe in a minute. I'll show you toward, even in our future, where you're going to show up in that robe again. It's going to be kind of cool. Think about this. When he takes off all of that, what does he put on you? He puts righteousness on us. He puts sonship of God on us. That was all him. That wasn't us, but he put his robe on us. He puts his priestly position on us. A priest is a representative of God to broken people and a priest is a representative of broken people to a holy God. And he says, that's now you. I'm going to put my robe because that's what I want you to be. Did you understand that you're called to be priests? Because of the coat we've been given. Here's a big one. I've considered it this week and can't get my head around it. He put his kingdom authority on us said, Lord, please give me a grasp of what that means. Because we got to see what Jesus did with that authority, right? Mountains move, eyes open, deaf hear, lame walk. And when he put his robe on us, that is the authority of the kingdom. We're, we're to have that and represent him through that authority here. Lord, show us what that means. Show me what that means. I want to get a hold of that. What a fantastic exchange. Oh, my goodness. His life, Vicki and my daughter and I and Brandon, her husband, we sing a song. I um, can't remember the group that sang it, but it's called His Life for Mine. That's what this is. He exchanged his life for my life. 
What an awesome thing. This week as I was reading through that, I mean, tears are running down my face. I'm saying, Mark, what's wrong with you, Mark? Realizing what he had done. Jesus said this, if anyone wants to come after me, you got to deny yourself. That's the humbling. That's what Jesus did, remember? He took off his royal garment and became like us, like a broken slave, bond servant, if you will. And then he tells us later that you, if you want to follow after me, you've got to be this as well. You have to deny yourself. Realizing the level of our brokenness and our bondages to the sin. Now, I watch this and I, I watch it in all of our lives. Where the sins of the forefathers, and it's getting more prevalent, more visible in our cultures. Where you have a grandfather, let's say, and a grandmother who decided they were not going to be, they were not going to be trapped by this religion stuff. And so we're going to live our life independent of all that. We're going to live in freedom. And so we don't have any kind of instruction or direction of what's true. And our minds become either barbaric or Greek fully. And the further that goes, you take that family and they, they then pass that information on to, their, to the next generation. And they take it further because each generation either reacts to the generation before or takes it further. And so the next generation takes that belief and get, takes its freedom uh, fully without any concept of morality of right and wrong and, and then you wake up in our generation and find out that's where we are as a nation. It's where we are as a nation. Not all the way because thank the Lord there's a remnant of the church all across the land. A crisis comes up and you watch the body of Christ go in like a, a cells of a body like they go in to fight against sickness and disease and that bot, this, the church body goes into Houston it goes into Florida. It goes into the Gulf Coast after this last hurricane. And the body of Christ, you don't know, won't know them, may not ever know them. But they go and you give money and you give food. And because the body of Christ brings a healing to everything that it touches. Thank the Lord that the remnant of the church is still on the planet. But we see as the church declines or as the uh, nation stops depending upon, stops having any Hebrew mindset, you see the culture degenerate. Just gets darker and darker. And you have people shooting people out of windows. And we think, I don't even know why. Well, because we're be, we are becoming more and more barbaric as a culture. You reject God, that's where you move to. Deny yourself, he said. Take up your cross. That's everything that puts my flesh and ego to death. Oh, I don't like that, do you? It's the thing that puts my ego and my flesh to death. I can't walk in covenant unless I take up my cross and die to me. No longer ruled by my pride or my preference. I like it this way, I don't like it that way. That's my pride. And it, you know what it's driven by? My flesh. What is the cross? What is it? Eliot said this, The denial to ourselves of some pleasure or profit falls far short of the meaning of this word in Greek. 
The self-denial here has, a, has its highest type and pattern in the act by which the Son of God, in becoming man, emptied himself of all that can, constituted himself, all of his divine nature. The words, take up his cross, which the disciples had heard before, were now clothed with a new, more distinct meaning by the words that were spoken so clearly of the death of which the cross was to be an instrument. You know what it is to take up your cross? Empty yourself. Empty myself. Put all of my hope, all of my hope, not in a church, not in a pastor, not in a small group leader. Don't put my hope there. You put all of my hope into Jesus because he is our hope. Hamlin, your home for hope. You know what that means is Jesus. We don't have anything to offer but him. And let me tell you, he is enough. When you put your feet on him, he is enough. We offer ourselves completely to his rule. What do you say, Lord? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to do it? It's not me standing up over here saying, I'd prefer to see it this way. And over here, I'd prefer to see it this way. No. Lord, I have all kinds of things I want to do, but I offer that up to you. You show us. You do this. Tell us what to do. Then he said, follow me. That means leaving everything that brought you to this place. Some of you have lived under a curse from generations that has identified you. You're weak, you're ineffective, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not, uh, you're not whatever enough. You're just not enough. And we've been told that generationally. Maybe some of you have come out of several generations you may have come from a barbaric home where there was all kinds of abuse and intimidation going on in the house. And so you grew up in this mindset, I'm never good enough, and what I finally do deserve is some kind of harassment and being hurt or beat up. This says, in this passage, follow me. That means you no longer go in the direction that brought you here. You get up now and you follow him and him alone. And he says to you, daughter, you're not spoiled and lost. You've not failed to the point that I can't, because you're so nasty, I don't want you anymore. The father says, daughter, come on. Come on, I'm your dad. Get up from where you are, follow me. And I'm going to put something on, I'm going to put my kingdom robe on you. And that changes your identity. Many of us have the robe, but the good robe, but we all think that we're still under the old robe. And we're not. Lord, would you please give us the gift to see who we are? Not because of us, but because of who you are. Show us. Give us eyes to see. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. If you want to be the master of your life, you're going to lose this. But if you give up being the controller of your life and you pursue him, you will find life to its full. But whoever loses his life for me, Jesus says, will find it. What is it? The true life God has designed for you. You say, I don't trust him. It scares me. He'll send me to Africa. I know he will. If I give my life to him. Can I tell you this? 
He'll send you there if it puts it in your heart first. And you won't want to be anywhere but Africa. It's not like he's going to drag you kicking and screaming to follow him. He puts it in your heart because he says, I'm putting my robe on you. That means now you represent me. And where I'm going to send you, I'll put it in your heart. You will never be happy until you're there. Let me give you just a little peek ahead. I'm not talking about next week. I'm talking about ahead of us down the road as a church, as a believer. It's in Revelation. Listen for the robe. After these things I look and behold a great multitude which not one could count from every nation and all the tribes and all the peoples and all the tongues were standing before the throne, before the Lamb, watch this, clothed in white robes. The exchange robe. You're going to still have it on. With palm branches in our hands. And they're going to cry out with a loud voice. Those of you who don't like to worship. You're going to cry out one day in a loud voice. And you're going to say salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then more than likely we're going to hit our face. Kind of Pentecostal. We're going to hit our face before Him. Edward Moat wrote this song. When I start saying the words, the tune's going to blare into your heart. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Watch this. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood when all around my soul gives way he then is all my hope and stay when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before the throne we sing it on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you pray? Father, on this morning, thank you for the robe. Why would you love us like this? I don't know. How you could love us so much in our filthy outer robe of our personality and all the sin under our past and the sins brought down on us from generations God how could you love us and yet you say that you do as a father to a child that you want to exchange take off our filthy robe and put on us your robe that puts us in your family that means all that you have belongs to us that means in the war that we fight, you're the strong one. We don't have to fight alone. That means, Lord, when we try to do the work of your kingdom, you said you have all the gifts necessary to flow through us from your kingdom. They'll just flow out and lives will be changed. How could you love us like that? 
I don't know, but I'm sure glad you do. Lord, on this day, there are some who are still clothed in the robe of curse. And you're going to call them out. You're going to call them to you. Speak to them clearly. Let them come. And let them just take that outer garment off. Because, Lord, it'd be nice, be fun on this day to see people come and receive your robe. To see redemption play out in, in many lives. Forgive me for my pride and for me wanting it to be my way or no way. Because, Lord, I know you said I'm going to have to deny that in order to follow you. Some of us, Lord, may have your robe on, but we don't realize that that came with your lordship. So we may need to get before you today and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've gotten off track. Remind, thanks you for reminding me what you've done for me. Lord, I take my hands off the steering wheel of my life again. I want to give it controls back to you again I don't know how you could love us like that but it is a very great exchange have your way with us now in Jesus name would you stand altars are open if you'd like to do some business